Hebrews chapter 11, let's begin in verse 32. And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens, women received their dead raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains, in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. God, having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for all the wealth that's found in it, Lord. We thank you that it's spirit and it's truth, it's life, it's, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. We're so grateful that it'll outlive the heavens and the earth. Lord, we love the privilege of being able to have you build our lives upon it, God, and we know that it's, um, it's perfect for what we need, God, and it's more than what we need. And now as we sit before you, Lord, and we sit at your feet, we ask that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher this morning. We pray that you would speak to your people as only you can. And we pray that you'd bring encouragement and, and comfort and conviction and exhortation. And we're thankful, Lord, that you never condemn, Lord. You always convict and you always redirect and encourage, Lord. We're so grateful that you're so loving and patient and gracious with us. And we ask that you would set this time aside for your holy use. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Well, this is the 10th and final week of looking at these Calvary Chapel distinctives. Unless the Lord adds something this week to me and says, teach on this. Okay, great. Well, apart from that, though, I believe we're ready to get back into Proverbs. And we've looked at uh, nine different Calvary Chapel distinctives. That's not all of them, uh, but that those are nine very pivotal and important ones. We've looked at calling is everything, that everything comes from calling. We've looked at it's Jesus's church, let him build it, that it's not our church. It's not my church. It's Jesus's church. He said he would build it, and so we just need to get out of his way, not try to help him out, give him the freedom that he desires to be able to build his church how he desires, He is the head of the church. No pastor or leader is is the head of the church. Jesus is the head of the church. And so he's called us to let him build it, and we are called to build it up. Also, we looked at the priority of the word, how important the word of God is, and looking at all of the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, every jot, every tittle, that all scripture is given by inspiration of God, all scripture, not some, and that as we Um, study it and let it wash over us and renew our minds and all those things we're able to prove what is that acceptable perfect will of of God 
and be able to discern good from evil and be able to know what's what way we should go, right or left or straight or backwards or whatever uh, in any given situation. We also looked at that we are called to be empowered by the Holy Spirit, that there's something called the baptism with the Holy Spirit where we're empowered supernaturally to be a witness to Jesus and what he's done in our lives and the truth of the gospel. And he gives us this power. The disciples had education They had a ministry experience, but they lacked power. And Jesus told them to wait for that power that he had promised by the Holy Spirit. We also saw the gifts are for today. That all the gifts of the Spirit are for today, but they must be exercised biblically, decently, and in order. Uh, But they're very important, and they're, they're part of how God has designed for the church to function so that disciples can be made. Yes, it's the leaders of the church equipping the saints for the work of ministry, but also coupled with that, it's the people of God using their gifts to build one another up. Very important. And if we have one of those two things missing or not functioning to the extent to which they've been designed to function, then we're not, we're not allowing Jesus to build his church in the way that he wants it to, in, in the sense that he's not uh, able to, because he's chosen to have it be this way, not able to make disciples in the way that he's, he's wanting disciples to be matured. Because the leaders are important, of course, and they're called to equip the saints, but we need the whole body of Christ using their gifts to build one another up. So they're important. We also looked at grace upon grace, how important it is to have an environment that's gracious, that people can fail in, that people can make mistakes and fall short and struggle and all of that, and they're not beaten down or, or uh, you know, condemned or any of those things, but they're encouraged and pointed to the Lord and all of that. We can't have disciples made if it's not an environment of grace. It just won't happen. Because if you have an atmosphere where you can't be honest with your struggles and your shortcomings, myself included, then you create an environment where there's Pharisees and actors and people put on a good show and everybody looks great on the outside and say everything's going great, but in reality, it's not. That's not a place where disciples can be made. We also looked at um, the supremacy of love and how everything needs to be done as an overflow of love for God and love for other people. That we have to sacrificially give and, and put our focus on other people. And without that motivation, it counts for us as nothing, we're told in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And also we saw having begun in the Spirit. That God's called supernatural works of the Spirit to begin and he, he starts them. But it requires for man or people to remain yielded to the Holy Spirit and yielded to being outward instead of being inward and and continue to be led by the Spirit and be willing to change things and have God have the freedom to alter how things work and all of those things. And and Pastor Chuck always used to talk about having begun in the Spirit, are you now going to be made perfect in the flesh? And he would use that whole those whole set of verses after talking about the immediate context of salvation of course we can't add to salvation but we would also use it as an example of our Christian walk of not uh, trying to add to what God has done and and allowing things to maintain or to be maintained as a supernatural work of the spirit how do you maintain a work of the spirit you let Jesus continue to do the work once you start trying to do your own agenda and you start trying to add to what he says in it clearly in his word uh, of how things are supposed to function, now you're doing things in the flesh. And he, Pastor Chuck used to always tell us, whatever you start in the flesh, you've got to maintain in the flesh. 
Whatever you create and it's not of God, you have to maintain that. And you don't want that. So we saw that. And then we saw keeping um, the, the centrality of Jesus Christ, to it, keeping Jesus at the center of everything, to making sure that he gets the glory for everything that happens in our lives that's good, that brings, that, you know, that's expanding the kingdom, or anything that's just in terms of just a, a respectable thing that, that, that happens in our lives, that we give him credit and him glory for those things because he won't share his glory with anybody. He even expects unbelievers to give him glory. And we saw examples of when he judged people that were unbelievers for not giving him glory. We looked at Nebuchadnezzar and we looked at um, uh, one of the leaders in Israel that was an unbeliever and, and uh, God judged him as well. Now this week we're going to look at ventures of faith. We're going to look at what it means to take a venture of, of faith. The Calvary Chapel movement has a long history. And again, especially if you're visiting, know this, that we know that many other churches believe these things. We're not the only ones that believe these things. And especially true with related to ventures in faith. For sure, in the body of Christ, we're not the only one that takes ventures of faith. So I don't want you to get the wrong idea. But our movement that started in the mid-60s has been marked by ventures of faith, one after another, after another, after another. Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, their history, if you go through and look at the history of how all of that started, it was all ventures of faith. It was all just going, doing these amazing things for God, but not with all the answers ahead of time, not with all the provision ahead of time, not with all the experience ahead of time. Of God just saying, okay, this is what happens next. And people stepping out in obedience to him. Because as time went on and these, these, these hippies got saved at the beginning of our movement, um, they were getting, hippies were getting saved all over the world. The, the, the Jesus movement, um, Calvary Chapel was only part of one of the little parts of the Jesus movement. It was the Southern California version of the Jesus movement. But it also was happening all over the world. And it was just a sovereign work of the Spirit uh, in the Jesus movement there around the world. And these hippies were open to things, and, and they were looking, and they were searching, and God sovereignly just saved just millions of them. I'm convinced, millions of them. So what happened was, over time, these hippies who were, who were called to be pastors, they went out and planted churches. And there was no organization, there was no master plan, there was no systemized organizational structure that Pastor Chuck came up with. Okay, now we're going to control this and we're going to systematize it. And this is what, you know, all these things. Basically, they were given a box of tapes by Pastor Chuck back then. If it were a little earlier, they probably would have been eight tracks. Uh, But they they were given these box of cassette tapes, Genesis to Revelation, and said, you know, praise God, go out there and see what God will do. And that's the extent, I'm not exaggerating, that's the extent of the preparation that many of these people had. And they, were, they would go out and just start a Bible study in their home and just see what God would do. And all of a sudden, people were getting saved, and then they would outgrow their home, and then they'd move into like a community center or whatever, or a school, and it would just grow. And many, of, many, many, many hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of Calvary chapels today are a result of that, and that's how they started. It was just a radical venture of faith for these people. Also, at that time in the 70s, especially, there was these recovery homes 
these halfway houses and these things that were very prominent because a lot of these hippies were getting saved and getting delivered from drugs and alcohol and all of that. And they had a great heart for the culture and they would, they would take people in. They would lead them to Christ or even take them in in, in in expectation that they would receive Christ. And a lot of them would have this, no, they have no place to go and they would go to these places and they would live there among them and they would be discipled and they would grow in their faith. And, and that those things were very popular and prevalent and and God used that that was somebody that wasn't some book that someone read that's okay this step by step how you do that that was God leaning on someone's heart and saying this is what I want you to do and then those people saying okay you've changed my life through this God I want to I have a heart to do the same thing and they went out and started their home and then before you know it there was like a network of these things it wasn't organized it was birth of the spirit and God greatly used it also there was Maranatha music because these hippies had songs that they wanted to sing. They were very musical. And, and, they, and God would give them these songs. And Pastor Chuck would let them play these songs. And, and before you know it, there was no more hymns. Or at least there was hymns, but it was, it was uh, interspersed with these songs, these choruses that they had. And eventually, Maranatha Music started. It was like, I think, the first record label for Christian music. Or at least in the sense of worship songs. And, and before then, there wasn't really any... Uh, choruses in churches that much. They weren't prevalent, at least. They're mostly just hymns. And they have their place, and they're good. I'm not criticizing them. But there was was something that God added sovereignly. It wasn't a master plan. But someone had to step out in faith and say, okay, this isn't my thing. I'm I'm not into this type of music. Pastor Chuck was like a World War II generation guy. He wasn't into all this, this, this stuff, but he recognized that they were taking a step of faith. God was moving on them and let them do that and watched God bless it. And then all of a sudden, one thing led to another and they're forming like a, a label and all of that. And then what happened was over time, it started getting too commercialized and the people that were running it, you know, wanted it to, to be so for profit and all this stuff. And he's like, okay, fine. And you just let it go and let them have it. You want to have that be done that way, then you're going to, you're going to do it. Then he just gave it over to him. And, and so um, that, was, that was how his leading related to um, how these things are supposed to function. Then there was the Harvest Crusades. Pastor Greg was just, he was at Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa, and he was preaching the gospel on Monday nights. And Pastor Chuck encouraged him, let's rent a bigger place. Let's rent this amphitheater, and let's see what God will do. And just huge amounts of people and people getting saved and now there's been I don't know 25 years 28 years or something like that of of harvest crusades going on that was a step of faith they didn't know how to do that they didn't have experience doing it they didn't have the finances for it they just stepped out I love Greg Laurie's story about um, when the little church building that Calvary Chapel bought and uh, for him to start a church and just gave him the keys you know to the building and said okay there you go Greg and he's you know he's 19 you know, <laughs> would you give a 19-year-old keys to a church and just, you know, but God's hand was upon Pastor Greg, and I'm so thankful for Pastor Chuck to recognize that and, and, and just, and wh- look what God has done. Uh, it's unbelievable. The Bible colleges, unbelievable, you know, Marietta Hot Springs where our, the Bible college is and all these different places that God opened up for ministry. The castle in Austria. My sister and my brother-in-law were there in the early 90s. And, and my brother-in-law led a school of ministry there in the early 90s. And Eastern European students came from all over Europe to come to school to be discipled. And they're now all over the place with churches and, and all of that. We still have the castle and all of that. There's 
I mean, I could just go on and on. These things that made no sense in many ways. They didn't have the provision. God led them to do it. And now there's um, an ongoing work of the Spirit. So the point is, is that God is always on the move. I don't know if you noticed this, but God's into expansion. He's into expansion. He's always expanding his reach and his influence and because he loves the whole earth. He got God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So he wants everybody to know him and he's into expanding. And see, he chooses us to be used by him. He doesn't have to do that. He, there's many different ways he could expand his kingdom, but he has chosen in his sovereignty and his wisdom to use human vessels. But the only way you can get a vessel to for us to go from one point to another or to start a ministry or whatever it is, is for, it requires faith. And there's a huge difference between faith and presumption, which we'll cover in a few minutes. But he's always expanding. He's always expanding what he's doing and the Great Commission and all that. And we see him expanding things in the Old Testament and the New Testament. In the Old Testament, he was setting aside a special people to bring them to their own land, ultimately for the purpose of having the Messiah be born there. And they may not even have fully been aware, many of them, during that time, that he was doing that to bring forth the Messiah, but many of them did. And so in that process in the Old Testament of giving them their own land so the Messiah would be born in Israel and all those things, um, he dealt individually with people and each person did their part. And they're each a little bit tiny part of the overall puzzle. And, and, and people don't think, oh, what I'm doing is very important. And many times in the Old Testament you see people and you think that they think that it's, there's not that much significance to what I'm doing. But you look back at Rahab, or you look back at Gideon, or you look back at Moses, or you look back at all these people that didn't realize the scope of what they're in the middle of. And we look back at it now, hindsight is twenty twenty, right? And we look back and we see how, how much was hanging on that one person doing what God had called them to do. And it could be a very insignificant thing in their eyes. But the, but the effect of that and implication of that ended up having great uh, impact on the kingdom of God and the Messiah uh, coming um, forth. So that's how he works. And so he used, um, you know, some were used in a way in the Old Testament to bring forth his plan directly. Others were used to bring them back to God when they so often strayed from him. So it wasn't their, God's perfect will that they strayed from him, but they did, and he raised people up to bring them back to him, or at least be a voice for him, like the prophets. I mean, Jeremiah ministered for 30 years. Not one recorded prophet, or one recorded convert, rather. And, and you look at him, it's like, well, was he successful? Well, according to all the church growth books and all the, the books about growth and, and all these things, he'd be a failure. But in God's eyes... And we'll see in, in, in our text, and we will get to it, by the way, I haven't forgot, um, you know, it, that there's all different definitions of success. Ultimately, God's called us to be faithful. And all the things on the outside that people judge us by are not necessarily how God judges us. And what really matters is if we do what God's called us individually to do. And, and so sometimes it's directly for what he wants to happen. Sometimes it's indirect, or he, has, he, he uses us to bring people back to him when they're getting off in, in the way that they're supposed to uh, function. Now, in the New Testament, 
God was working to bring the new covenant through Christ. And so we see that. We see the birth of the church. We see uh, him start expanding the church. And it's almost been 2,000 years, and, and we're still seeing the church expanding. So that expansion project is still going on. And he wants to use us to do that. He is using us to do that. So no matter the Old Testament or the New Testament, it's always been about ventures of faith, speaking to individual people, telling them to do something, but not giving them necessarily all the details on how it's going to happen and, and them thinking that they're not qualified. You, most of the time we see that in the scriptures. I'm not qualified. You got the wrong person. He said, nope, I got the right person. Because when I do something amazing through you, you're going to give me glory and people aren't going to give you the glory like we talked about last week he doesn't share his glory and then there they step out in obedience to him faith is not just presumption where you just go out and do something and say okay God bless this it's hearing God speak through circumstances through his word through directly to my heart through people hearing God speak so he initiates it that's very important to understand about ventures of faith he has to initiate it I've seen so many times, and I've experienced it myself, where I initiate it, and I get go out there, and I, you know, just, and, and so there is a time, though, and you see it in the Old Testament, Pastor Chuck used to talk about it, where let's just see what God will do. Let's just do something and just see if he's in it. That's not initiating it in the sense of you're initiating this, this venture of faith. What that is, is that's showing him, and by faith, expressing that I'm available, here I am. I'm going to see. I'm going to do something and see if you're. I mean, I'm talking a very small thing. We're doing a very small thing to see if you lead through this circumstance. And if not, I'm going to pull back. That's just letting him know that you're available. But that's those types of things are way the exception. You don't see them a lot in the New Testament, by the way. And, and but those are be way the exception and not the rule. What we see in the New Testament, especially, is God initiates something. He speaks very clearly, and he wants us to know more than we want to know. And we forget that sometimes. He wants us to know more than, uh, than we want to know. And so he, he speaks to us to do something, to step out, but he doesn't give us all the answers. He doesn't give us how he's going to do it, all these things. He may give us a little inkling of how he's going to do it, but he doesn't really tell us. And, it, and many times, more often than not, it looks impossible. And he specializes in putting us in impossible situations. Am I the only one that has seen that? He loves to put us and his people in impossible situations. Because it creates a dependence upon him. And we watch him do what only he can do. And then it brings him glory when, when he does it. So it's not presumption. It's not doing what I want to do and asking him to bless it. It's not me initiating it. It's, it's him speaking. We can't deny it. Again, he wants us to know more than we want to know. So he'll make it to where, if we're supposed to do something, let's say it's he wants me to go and um, start a ministry at, in Korea, North Korea. <laughs> uh, and so, okay, all right, well, obviously I'm going to seek him and make sure, but he wants it to get to the point where it will be disobedienced if we don't do it. And, and, and so often we think that, well, he's not capable, and we don't think this consciously, but maybe indirectly in our hearts we kind of think, he's not going to do that. He's not going to make it so clear. I'm telling you, he will make it that clear. And we'll want that if we're going to North Korea, for sure. 
I mean, Trump tried to go to North Korea, and he couldn't even land his helicopter there. I mean, God wasn't leading. God didn't want him to go to, to uh, right at the DMZ or whatever, right by the border or whatever. He tried to go there, and there was fog and all of that. And so it, even he can't go to North Korea if he wants to. Um, but the point is, is that he always makes it so clear for us and makes it obvious to us and until he does that we need to wait until that time and so much of the preparation for when we get somewhere happens while we're waiting to be told to go there does that make sense we're, we're waiting and we're preparing and all these things and 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 we're waiting so that when he tells us to go we'll be ready and there's you know I wanted to be a, a pastor for a long time before I was a pastor and and I mean, we're talking 12 years. Now, in the beginning, when he told me I was going to be a pastor, I didn't want that at all. And I was offended by him. Like, what are you talking about? I don't like people. <laughs> He's like, I'm going to change your heart. I'm like, okay, you're, I'll wait for that. <laughs> I'm waiting. But after a few years, he did change my heart. And he started giving me a love for people and all that. And then I was impatient. Like, come on. I got ahead of the Lord. I went out ahead. And I thought I was going to be a part of a church plant in Tracy before Calvary Chapel Tracy was there. And I went and I told my friend, and he's like, well, I'm not called to, to, to pastor there. You pastor there. I'm, like, I'm not called to be a senior pastor. And he goes, well, you went there and you spied out the land and all of that. I think it's for you if, you, if, if it's going to happen. You know, I'm like, I'm not called to be a senior pastor, you know. And, but I got ahead of the Lord big time. Um, so it, it's very easy for us to get ahead of the Lord in those things. And we just have to wait. You know, when it finally came for me to go to the school of ministry at Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa, I didn't want to go to do that. I mean, I, a friend had invited me there. And I, I, um, I'm like, you know, you, you're into a lot of things. And <laughs> you don't stick with them. Uh, and I'm good. I'm ready. You know, I thought I was ready at the time. Oh, it's funny. And uh, so I went there, and, and, and I just to visit him, and, and I was in that classroom, and that's when God said, I want you, this is where I want you to go. And I was totally shocked. I was in management at Trader Joe's, and I was do, making good money for the first time. Finally was able to have my, my wife stay at home with our new, new baby and all of that. And now I'm going to be going all the way down to Orange County. I only knew one family there, didn't know how it was going to happen. And, you know, we had a plan as best as we could, and that plan fell through. And um, a few months in, I hurt my back. I couldn't work at Trader Joe's anymore. My wife thought she was going to get a medical transcription a, a job down there. She'd never done that before. And then she found out she had rheumatoid arthritis when she got an account and couldn't do it. And so we were there and just struggling big time. And like, this is so difficult. This is so hard. And I'd go to the director's office and cry, crying a river with him and he just kept pointing me to the Lord and like, God's going to work it out. And, you know, I got benevolence checks from Pastor Chuck that he signed. I, so I got my diploma with his signature, but I also got benevolence checks with his, uh, you know, signature. And I got boxes of food for my family. We were on WIC. We were on, you know, it, there was a lot of things going on, but it was so much character development. But in the process of going down there, he confirmed it supernaturally. Because we wanted to know if we were supposed to go down there. And we're also wanting to know what's the next step. If we're supposed to go, what's the next step? And then I had to work on a Sunday. My wife went to church and the pastor said, you know, I'm going to teach on Acts today and talk about Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. And he's teaching on it and everything. And then he said, you know, maybe you're here and you're, you're doing well and you don't understand why um, God would call you to go somewhere that you don't know anybody and you don't have a way to, to, to make it happen or whatever. And maybe you just need to, you know, 
just trust God, you know, like this whole thing, like exactly what she needed to hear. And he goes, this is what your next step is. <laughs> your next step is just to go and, 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 and try to investigate and maybe if it's a thing that you have to apply to that you would apply. So I'm like, okay, that's the next step. So we applied. I'm like, they're never going to accept me. They're never going to accept me in this school. They get a lot of applicants or whatever, but I'll just apply. And I got accepted. And, you know, so it was like all these things that were supernatural. There's no way I could, uh, you know, there's no way I could make that happen. And so that's like one of the biggest ventures of faith for me. But also planning this church was a massive venture of faith. Someday I'll tell the whole entire story. We don't have time for that here. But he supernaturally confirmed that. And I can't even tell you how supernatural it was. And and it was just one thing after another, all fell into place and everything. And, and now you think about how would that happen again? If God called me to go plant a church somewhere else, what would I do? Would I go through the same process I went this last time when we planted this church? And, and I would be foolish to think that that was going to happen the same way. Because every situation's different. And I would seek God, I would pray, I would fast, I would seek wise counsel, all those things. And, and, and I would look for God to, to reveal it. And then I would step out in obedience to him by God's grace. And I would, it would probably look totally different, happen totally different. Because God works differently in different ways. He keeps us dependent upon him. So what I want to focus on today, though, is ventures in faith. The whole picture with ventures in faith. The whole picture of what's included in that. Because so often we think, we kind of romanticize about these ventures in faith. Like how great they'll be and how glorious they'll be. And we'll see God's glory and we'll see him come through and we'll see God work and all that. But what we don't think about is all the things that come with it that aren't as kind of romantic, not as fun, okay? Because it's, he never told us it would all be easy and just one victory over another, one mountaintop experience to another. That's just not the case. And so there's tremendous joy, yes. There's tremendous fulfillment. There's tremendous satisfaction, mainly just by being in God's will. But also there is a lot of other things, including hardship and trials and loss and persecution and all those things that come with it. So that's why I wanted to look at these verses in, in Hebrews chapter 11. Let's look at verse 32. What more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets. So he's continuing on. Of course, this is continuing from the beginning of chapter 11. We don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews. Some people believe it's Paul. I don't know who wrote it except the Holy Spirit inspired it. That's all that matters to me. But the whole theme of the book of Hebrews is Jesus is better. Everything about the new covenant's better and it's all better because Jesus is better. He's a better high priest. He's, a, he's superior to the angels. It's a, I mean, there's all these things when you study. It's one of the most rich, full books that you could ever read. I was very intimidated to teach it when I taught it, um, but I grew tremendously as a result. So he's been going on this whole long list for 31 verses, talking about by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. All these men and women of God have been greatly used by him, by faith, by faith. But um, starting in verse 32 and beyond, he keeps talking, he's running out of time. You know, he's, he's a, he or she or whoever wrote it is a, is a preacher that never has enough time to say everything that they want to say. And, and uh, the people are thankful for that, but the preacher usually isn't. Um, I have this clock here, 
to help me. And, and um, as the joke says, you know what this means? Nothing. It doesn't mean anything. Um, but we have at least tried to be within, you know, parameters for you. Uh, but here we have, Dan, you know, he says, I don't have time to get into all these others of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David, Samuel, and the prophets, verse 33, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. And so he's saying here, all these things were done by faith, through faith. They subdued kingdoms. That took faith. They worked righteousness. It took faith to obtain promises. It took faith to stop the mouths of lions, to quench the violence of fire. Uh, It took faith to escape the edge of the sword. It took faith, you know, all these things happen through faith. Now, not just faith in and of itself. We love to talk about faith, but faith is not by, it's not an island unto itself. Faith is only as good as the object in whom it is placed. So if your faith is in something that's false or erroneous, then your faith is not based in reality and not good. So our faith needs to be in God. And it needs to be said that we should never have faith in our faith. We need What is faith anyway? Faith is just trust. And we shouldn't have faith in our faith. We need to have faith in God. I mean, you could add in this whole chapter here, by faith in God they did this. By faith in God they did that. That's the whole, that presupposes that they had faith in God. Not faith in their faith or faith in themselves for sure. It's faith in God. And he goes through, he continues here um, in verse 35. Women received their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. Now, so these things were radical things. I mean, we see our heritage, right? In fact, the beginning of chapter 12, he said, so, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, so often people say, oh, that's people in heaven that we love that are looking down upon us and all of that. That's not the context. The context, the great cloud of witnesses are the people in chapter 11. They are witnesses that faith in God is always worth it, no matter what happens to us. It's always worth it. And they are surrounding us. They are They are telling us it's all worth it. It's all worth the sacrifice, whatever we have to sacrifice. So he goes down all these verses, all these people have done these amazing things, all the way through verse 35. And this is where people usually stop reading. And this is usually where pastors stop teaching. Because they don't want to teach verse 35 or verse 36 to verse 40 often. Because when they're doing a self-help type uh, you know, me as the focus type message and, and, and getting my dreams, securing my dreams and all these things, these man-centered things that they so often teach, unfortunately, they leave this out because it goes against that whole message of only good things come from God and, and God's never going to allow anything that's, that's uh, really painful and horrible and trials and all that if I'm doing it right, so to speak. And, and so they don't include these verses. I mean, It begins in verse 36 with still others. You could write a book on still others. You'll never find this book in a Christian bookstore, probably, that are talking about all these things that they didn't receive, talking about all these things that they suffered and didn't get anything in return in this life. You're not going to find books on that. You're probably not going to find, again, a lot of sermons about that. 
But when you go through all of the Bible, you have to cover all the verses, and all the verses are important and needed and important for our lives. So it says, still others. That's where we start separating those that received something in this life in many ways that's good as a result of their faith in God and those that didn't. Look at verse 36 here. Still others had trial of mockings and scourgings. Yes, and of chains and imprisonment. How many books do we see? Ten keys to finding out how to be imprisoned for the Lord. (laughs) Ten keys to finding out how we can be scourged for the Lord or mocked for the Lord or persecuted for the Lord. Verse 37, they were stoned, they were sawn in two, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented. Verse 38, of whom the world was not worthy. That that assumes that they weren't of this world. Because if they were of this world, they'd be of the world here, and they wouldn't be making a distinction between them and the world. He says the world is not worthy of these people. The people that follow God no matter what, the consequences, and are obedient to him no matter what, by God's grace, those are especially, I mean, all believers, the world is not worthy of us in terms of how God's changed us and all those things. But especially those people are not worthy, the world is not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, in dens and caves of the earth. Let me just say here, these people of faith that were blessed in the sense of obeying what God told them to do and all those things, they were homeless. Look at that. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. They were homeless. We don't know what people's situation is when we see that, that they are homeless. We don't know their situation. This week I was able to be interviewed by some high school students that were doing a whole documentary on, on homelessness in our community. And I sat in a chair right there and they They've videotaped, I don't know why they would want to talk to me, but they want to talk to me. And um, one of the things I reminded all of us that, were, that would see it and myself is that, you know, three-fourths of this, this country especially, three-fourths of us are one or two paychecks away from being homeless or we live paycheck to paycheck and all of that. So many people are not uh, in that situation because of these things that they've done wrong per se. Some are. Some, there's all different situations. But we can't assume that. And here you could say these saints of, of God that, that loved God, that were being greatly used by him, they wandered around and they didn't have homes. Jesus didn't have a home either. So um, it's very important for us to see that <laughs> following God in an adventure of faith could mean even these things that we're seeing in these verses. Verse 39. And, and all these having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. God, having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. That means that they were made perfect because of us. Complete. Because they are the great cloud of witnesses that he's talking about in the beginning of chapter 12. Because they were used, their live example of, I'm going to follow God no matter what, and I may not get anything in this life to show for it, but I'm going to obey him, and it's worth it. 
part of the fulfillment of their ministry occurs in us when we see their lives as an example and we obey what God tells us to do in our venture of faith that he has for us because we see their example and we say, no matter what, I'm going to follow God even in this life. I don't receive anything as a result of it and I get my rewards in heaven. That's their, their, their ministry is made complete throughout the church age as believers look at their lives and say, what an amazing life of faith, and I'm going to obey God no matter what, even if I don't see anything with my visual, you know, visually or with my perception in this life. I'm going to follow him no matter what. So he says it's better for us that they should not be made perfect apart from us. Ventures of faith require faith. I mean, maybe not the greatest news flash for you. But sometimes we want to be engaged in a venture in faith, but we don't want to have to use faith. You know, we, we want to sub, substitute out adventure. I want to go on an adventure. But we don't want to have it be a venture in faith. But that's, that's the only kind of venture God usually uses in our lives, is a venture in faith. Because God's using our lives as an example for other people. And so um, we need to understand that we need to get to where we're going and sometimes that venture of faith doesn't end when we get there. And that's what we think. Ventures of faith continue after you started the ministry. They, they continue after you're at the city that he's moving you to to do something for him or whatever. They continue to happen. It's not just a point A to point B thing. And, and the faith that it requires often depends upon where he spoke to us in the first place. I remember when I went down to Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, and I was talking to my sister, who had been a missionary at that point for 10 years in Europe. I remember talking about how amazing it was and you know, how God confirmed it and he provided and all these things. I went down there ahead of time, and he, there was all these people trying to get the, our apartment that we wanted and all doing an open house all at the same time, and we supernaturally got it. And the guy told me, I don't know why, but I just feel like you're supposed to get it. You know, and all these things. And he, she goes, that's good. You'll need to lean back on that when you want to quit. What are you talking about? Quit. I'm here. I'm enjoying it. I'm in the OC. I'm in the Orange County. I'm, I'm enjoying the weather. I'm here with Pastor Chuck. Everything's going to go. You're going to be tested. And you're going to look back on those things, how we supernaturally did it. And you'll need that to survive. And I'm telling you, that is so true. So true. That's why you can't get ahead of the Lord, and I can't get ahead of the Lord. We have to make sure it's so obvious that we can't miss it, and it would be disobedience to step out. We have to be that sure. We have to. And he wants us to know more than we want it to know, and he's going to ask us to depend upon that to keep us being faithful because the venture in faith is often way more difficult than we ever, ever thought it could be. That's the whole story. The whole story is it's going to be probably happen, uh, you know, more difficult than than we ever thought it would be, that we didn't expect. It's going to be, we're going to gain strategic relationships that we don't expect, which is a good thing. We'll also be pruned and broken in ways that we never thought that will be pivotal, pivotal, important for my, for our growth. Um, I learned that a long time ago, just use a synonym. Uh, and, and it's always going to be better to be in that situation, no matter how hard it can be, 
than to, to not be there. What I mean by that is, as it's been said, there's one thing that's harder than God's will, and that's being out of his will. So we have to recognize that ventures in faith are God really wants us to know that he's leading us to do that. So we need to utilize all the tools he's given us. He's given us his word. It's amazing to me as a pastor how often I've heard people tell me and lay out this case about something that they feel like God's telling them to do and there's like really a lot of verses against what they're thinking, you know. I'm going to go and teach in a university that there's no there's 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 nine members of the Trinity. It's like no, you're not. That's not what God's called you. I'm just kidding. It hasn't been that, you know, that Benny Hinn didn't come to me. Um, but uh, you know, the the point is is that it has to be tested by scripture. There has to be things in here that line up with with what I believe God's leading me to do. This is objective. This is not subjective. This is objective. Also, he's given us other believers. There's wisdom in the multitude of counselors, we're told. We're looking at that when we're in Proverbs right now in our series, in Proverbs. So there's safety. There's leaders that love us and care for us and all of that. Now, some of you have been involved in situations where you've been hurt by leaders in churches and you're a little skittish. I understand that. I've been hurt by some leaders in, in churches before. I understand that. And there was a whole shepherding movement in the 70s where you couldn't buy a red car versus a blue car unless you check with your pastor first. That's cultic, and God only has one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. No leader, pastor is a mediator. There is no other mediator besides Christ. So I understand that's been abused, but when we have a healthy person, a godly person in our lives, it doesn't have to be a leader in the church. It could be someone that's just a godly person. And they know the scriptures, bounce things off of them. It's a great, great thing. There's things that people see about us that we don't see about ourselves. And, and, and bounce those things off of people. If we think that we're called to be an evangelist and we don't know how to preach the gospel yet, he's probably not going to have us leave tomorrow and start an evangelistic association or something and take over for Billy Graham. You know, it's probably not going to happen. Um, you know, there's, I'm exaggerating, but I'm saying there's, there's, you're not going to start a, a marriage ministry if you've never been married, probably. You know, I mean, there's people that want to write books about marriage that have never been married. And it's kind of hard to have that happen. There's all kinds of things that fall into those types of situations. So we have to recognize it's going to be more difficult than we realize. It's going to require faith to stay there and to be obedient to God in the context of that. Uh, it's going to be something that is going to bring joy and fulfillment and all these things, but it's going to be different than what we probably expect. I never thought I would ever pastor a church that's engaged with needy people as much as I had hoped that that would be the case, but I never thought that would happen. I never thought that nine and a half years after we planted the church that our ministry would be the size that it is. I'm just being honest with you. I thought, I thought it would be somewhat bigger. But God knows what he's doing. It's his church, again, and he's greatly used, he's greatly used us. And, and we're going to go through growth spurts. We're going to retract. We're gonna, it's going to be all over the place because it's, it's up to him to decide what it's supposed to be. And that's the most important thing. Again, I, I want all of us to stand before him someday and say, we did what we were called to do, and we were obedient by your grace to do those things. So it's important for us to see, related to ventures and faith, that God calls us to do those things we have to let him initiate those things. We can't initiate them. And all of that, how he puts things on our heart and how he speaks and confirming and all those things, that's a whole nother, that's a whole nother discussion. 
But he, uh, let me just say this. I don't see anywhere in here him struggle to get through to somebody when he wants to speak to somebody. Do you? Do you see anywhere in here where he's struggling to communicate to somebody? I don't. When he wants to say something to someone, he does it. So he doesn't have a problem communicating. It's on our end, we have a problem either coming to conclusions about situations that we think that he's leading when he's not, or we don't know how to discern his voice to the extent that we should yet, or we're impatient and we, and we have all these expectations that we're putting upon him that we shouldn't. I mean, there's all kinds of things that can happen. But we have to recognize that he's the one that owns us. We're bought, we've been bought with a price. We're not our own. And we want desperately his plan for our lives. Don't get off track. And I'm talking to me too. Don't get off track on other things. Focus on what he wants for you, no matter what. No matter what the consequences, no matter if you're, you, you die a martyr's death, if, whether you, you know, get rejected, you're homeless, whatever, whatever it means, we want his will for our lives. Again, again, there's one thing that's more difficult than his will, and it's being out of his will. We don't want that. He doesn't want that more than anything. Let's pray together.